Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Pro-abortion protesters are pushing First Amendment rights, while state and federal officials vow to increase security for Supreme Court justices. Protesters have been gathering outside the homes of six Republican-appointed justices in what appears to be an attempt to influence an upcoming decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. The Senate quickly moved to pass a bill for the security and protection of Supreme Court justices and their immediate family members. Virginia and Maryland state officials are also guaranteeing the safety of the justices. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin and the Office of Maryland Governor Larry Hogan said on Monday their state police are coordinating with federal authorities to ensure there is no violence outside the homes of the Supreme Court justices. Pro-abortion activists continue to protest outside of the homes of these Supreme Court justices. This is despite a federal law that says individuals may not picket or parade near a residence occupied by a judge in an attempt to influence him or her. The Department of Justice has remained silent on this issue. Pro-abortion activists continue to protest outside of the homes of these Supreme Court justices. This is despite a federal law that says individuals may not picket or parade near a residence occupied by a judge in an attempt to influence him or her. The Department of Justice has remained silent on this issue. The debate over abortion will continue to rage on, but in the meantime, it's going to be important to see through the talking points and the emotional rhetoric. Our next guest is Director of Outreach at Pro-Love Ministries and knows very well about the abortion issue from multiple perspectives. Kelly Lester, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Yes, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, Kelly, um, if you could just briefly set the table for us, uh, you are not always pro-life. From what I understand, you even worked at an abortion clinic. Uh, you've also had multiple abortions over the course of your life that you've spoken about. Um, I think you can speak to this topic from a very unique perspective. How did you make this uh, shift? Sure. So I, like many people, um, found myself pregnant and um, at 15 had my first abortion. Um, I then later on had several more abortions. I even did work at the clinic where I had my first abortion. So you're right. I have been um, on all aspects of this debate, both as a worker, as a client, um, someone who has stood outside of abortion facilities trying to help women and now working with the ministry that helps get pro-life legislation passed as well as helps former workers and provides resources for women that were like myself so that they can choose life. So from your experiences being in and around these clinics, both as a patient and as a, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an employee, um, are there any signs, literally, that they post there or attempts uh, to, to help these young women who go into these clinics to potentially be talked out of these abortions, uh, whether it be suggesting adoption or other things uh, from your experience? Yeah, and I, again, I can speak from my experience. Um, I'm sure that it is not 100% this way at 100 locations, but the overwhelming uh, amount of locations 
the resources that are given is at the bottom of your consent form that you sign it says if you would like information about parenting or adoption let us know it is not something that's discussed at length it's not like hey these are your choices let's talk about them let's talk about what's best for you it's none of that we were told in the clinic that when a woman came to the clinic, we needed to assume that abortion was her best option. And we needed to do everything to try to convince her that that was indeed her best option. And that included things like editing magazines so that there weren't pictures of happy couples or families or anything that might convince her to have a child or or rise up that maternal instinct in her and so we did everything to try to convince her that abortion was her best option um, and that's what we've heard across the board from the over 600 workers that we've had leave the industry that in fact if you start convincing women for options other than abortion you get let go because you are messing up their bottom line which is making money from abortions Wow, Kelly. <clears throat> We're seeing some of these uh, protests now taking place at the Supreme Court justices, private residences. Uh, the mainstream media and even the White House has fallen short of condemning these, even though this is in fact in violation of federal law to harass a judge in an attempt to have them reverse their decision. Uh, sometimes when you have the loudest voice, you can give the impression that you have the majority of public opinion. Mm -hmm. With that said, how popular do you think that the pro-life movement is uh, right now as we speak? Well, I think that that's kind of a hard statement to, to qualify or quantify because if you ask people, for instance, are you in support of Roe versus Wade? There have been many people that have done that and overwhelmingly, like 80% will say, yes, I support Roe versus Wade. But if you ask them, what does Roe versus Wade do? What does it mean? The overwhelming majority of them do not know what it means. And of that overwhelming majority, if you explain to them what Roe versus Wade actually does, they change their mind and say that they don't support it. I have found the same thing with people when you ask them, are they pro-choice? To be honest with you, I am pro-choice. I am for choices. I am not pro-abortion. And so when you start asking people, what does that mean to you? When you say you're pro-choice, what does that mean? And you find out many times they don't know what that means. They know the narrative that they've been fed and it sounds good on the outside, but when they get into the realities of it, they don't actually support it. And so I think that the majority of the population, that's how they believe. They want there to be some restrictions at a bare minimum on abortion. They want there to be some guidelines and, and procedures that are followed. And if they knew the reality of what was actually happening across our country, most of them would say that they do not support it. What do you say to those who say that this is a step back for women's rights, uh, my body, my choice? Well, I'd say a lot of things. First off, I would say it's not your body. <laughs> it's someone else's body. But let's talk about the women's rights thing. I am a mother. I have six children. I also work for one of the largest uh, nonprofit organizations and ministries in the country. I also serve at my church. So women are stronger than the abortion industry is telling them they are. And women's rights 
when we begin killing our children and when we begin saying to women that you are not strong enough, you are not smart enough, you are not capable enough to parent or to continue this pregnancy and you need abortion, we are actually taking a step back and telling women that they are not good enough. And not only that, but then you look at these these uh, companies lately that like Apple and Amazon, Citibank, that are paying for women to travel out of state so that they can get abortions. They're also paying for childcare for their children at home. They are not doing the same thing for women that are choosing to parent. Why is that? Why are they paying for abortions but not providing childcare for women that choose to parent? It's because it's not about women's rights. It's about controlling the narrative and actually controlling women's bodies. Kelly Lester, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill designating November 7th as Victims of Communism Day to honor over 100 million people who suffered under communist oppression. School children would also get a lesson on communism on this day. DeSantis said that college kids idolized communist leaders like Mao Zedong without realizing he was responsible for tens of millions of deaths. But I think one of the things we've seen is a lot of young people don't really know that much um, about what communism meant in practice and continues to mean in different parts of the world. DeSantis was joined by many Hispanic elected officials at Freedom Tower in Miami, where hundreds of thousands of Cubans were received throughout the 1960s as they escaped Fidel Castro's communist regime. I notice that the people that escape communism for free societies never choose to go back. I don't know very many of them that do that. Florida has been at the forefront of exposing and cracking down on Marxist underpinnings aimed to subvert traditional American culture and democracy. A state that has really been under siege by such ideologies is the Pacific Northwestern state of Oregon. And our next guest is running to be the next governor of that state. Kerry McQuiston, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Hi, thank you for having me here. Absolutely. Now, Carrie, you're running for governor of Oregon, a beautiful state, politically a fascinating state, uh, especially when it comes to Portland, what some might call the epicenter or home base for Antifa, a revolutionary group with Marxist roots. Um, Marxism takes on multiple forms. How would you say your agenda combats the seemingly cultural takeover of Marxist ideologies from critical race theory to other uh, things in our society right now? Yeah, and you're absolutely correct. You know, uh, Brezhnev said that all it took was for them to get hold of one generation of our children, and they would be able to flip us into communism. And that's the push that I'm actually seeing here in Oregon. You know, we have things that blur the the lines of how people see themselves, uh, kind of hammer down their individuality. And that's the first step toward communism. You know, these folks have to be a generation convinced that they don't have these individual rights. They may not see each themselves as individuals. They have to slide into this hive mentality. And that's absolutely what we're seeing in our education system here in Oregon. You know, it's as if we're, we're the test run here in the United States to see how far they can push this. So I'm absolutely pushing back against it. You know, part of part of the platform that I'm running on, you know, for governor would be to ban critical race theory and some of the other nonsense I'm sure you're seeing in the headlines right now. What type of things are you seeing in Oregon, um, you know, specifically when with regard to uh, schools and uh, other things? 
Yeah, so aside from critical race theory, we're seeing right now at the end of the last legislative session, Kate Brown, you know, our outgoing governor, had signed into law uh, the Menstrual Dignity Act. And we're seeing that enacted now for the next school year. And what that is is a focus on putting tampons in boys' locker rooms and restrooms in schools. Why? You know, everything in Oregon is upside down at this point from crime to education and beyond. And that's what we're focusing on. Why? There's a plan behind this. You know, we've seen it through the entire COVID uh, response here in Oregon, where people were told how they were going to worship, how they were going to open their businesses or if they could open their businesses. And now this. So we're seeing that push, you know, into socialism and then eventually into communism. And what I'm looking out across the United States and especially Oregon right now and seeing is that assault on our constitutional rights and our assault on our, our representative constitutional republic. Kerry, Governor Ron DeSantis, speaking of uh, socialism and communism, just signed a bill into law mandating that the history of communism be taught in schools throughout Florida. Uh, do you think this is good legislation and why do you think he did it? I think it's great legislation. Um, we, we need to make people aware of this, you know, because I'm, I'm completely aware that communism and socialism is how evil manifests itself through our political system. And it will eventually erode and take out Oregon and the United States as a whole if we don't stop it. So I applaud what he's doing. You know, he's pushing back very firmly right now on on this this push. And we have to have that. We have to have all of our Republican governors, almost in a coalition across the United States to push back against this. And I, I would love to join that coalition. I think sometimes we tend to forget that communism and joining any communist groups is actually illegal in the United States, yet many of these groups that find refuge in Portland, like Antifa, are in fact communist revolutionaries, but just call themselves something else. Well, absolutely they are. And in Oregon, they have completely gone unchecked under the Kate Brown regime. So the Democrats in our state have actually created this pro-crime agenda, and they've put it out there across Oregon. So we have prisons being knocked down to half capacity under the guise of COVID response. We have prisons that have been closed entirely, and then we have our governor commuting sentences of over a thousand hardened criminals. And these aren't just lightweights here. These are convicted rapists and murderers. She's turning loose out onto the streets. And then you have a DA in Multnomah County, that's where Portland is, that won't prosecute these folks once they're arrested. You know, they're, they're turned around like a revolving door out onto the streets. That absolutely has to stop. And the only way it does is for a Republican governor to get in that position. Now you're out on the campaign trail. Of, I'm sure you're meeting real people out there uh, telling you what their concerns are. Is there a, you know, a topic or an issue that comes to mind that you're hearing the most from uh, constituents throughout Oregon? Everything falls under the umbrella of loss of our freedoms and gross mismanagement across the state. And there are so many issues at this point that there isn't just one. You know, we have rampant crime. We have catastrophic wildfires. We have a red carpet rolled out in Oregon for the homeless in every state to come our direction. You know, and then we have a loss of parental rights and education again here in Oregon, which we just kind of touched on a little bit. We have to have the money follow the child to put that power back in the hands of our parents. So there are just so many things, you know, our unhealthy business climate in Oregon. So... It's a lot. You know, our state is on the edge of a cliff right now, and we have to flip it completely right side up again. It's going to take a little bit of work. Carrie McQuiston, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me.
I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.